Welcome to The Blind Spot, a podcast where we explore human instinctual drives through the lens of the Enneagram, nonviolent communication, and resonant healing with personal stories from individuals living real human lives. My name is Karen Nance, self-pres, social, sexual blind, three-wing two, with 371 trifix, and ENTP cognitive preferences. I hope you enjoy these stories. I'm starting my episodes this month with some exciting news. I have now launched my new website, KarenAnceMD.com, as well as a variety of social media channels on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, all under KarenAnceMD. And I would love for you to start following me on these channels because my hope is that I can start putting out some content that is going to help all of us on our journey. And the theme for this month is the white essence, which is about essential will. And I'm teaching a free class on Wednesdays from six to seven that is going to help all of us to change our habits. So whatever habit you have, I'm working on my nervous system reactivity and my tendency to interrupt. Um, You can also join me on your journey. Do you have a habit around eating food, smoking cigarettes, drinking alcohol, watching too much television, being on social media, whatever it is, we can come together and use mindfulness and presence and some scientifically proven ways to build new neural pathways in the brain. So I hope that you'll join me. You can visit my website, karenansmd.com, to register for free to come to the classes on Zoom. The second offering that I have this month is on conscious communication and resonant healing. So all of us here in the Enneagram community know that our Enneagram type has given us some core wounds. So I hope that you'll join me so that I can share with you some of the strategies that I've been using to overcome my structure and where I identify. And if we can all embark on this journey together, I think it could be really exciting. So I hope I see you in class. Welcome to The Blind Spot. I am very excited to have Kristen Messagey here to work with me today, and I discovered her through Ingrid's page, and she is currently involved in her trauma-informed Enneagram coaching program, and what is so cool about Kristen is that she is a coach of only Enneagram point sixes, as she is an Enneagram six herself, and Mm -hmm. what is your wing and your trifix and your instinctual stack, Kristen? So as far as I know, seven wing, I'm a six, three, eight, and I think I'm social, sexual, self-pres blind. Social and sexual are real close though. So I go back and forth a lot on that one. Yeah. Well, a lot of this podcast has been about exploring instinctual drives, which we may or may not talk a lot about today. But I noticed that I'm immediately curious as to why you put yourself self-pres blind. Like what about your life, your story has led you to know that's your blind spot and how are you working with that? Oh gosh, just get right to it. (laughs) My relationship with planning, organizing, thinking things through deeply. Um, there, there's just not any of that, you know, as a six, I don't resonate at all with the being prepared in the physical world whatsoever. I married a self-pres one. So 
I subconsciously outsourced a ton of that work. I mean, he's the reason our life works as well as it does. He's the reason I have a home. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I just don't take care of things. Yeah. And um, what about money? Does he handle all the money? He handles all the money. And what about health? Do you take care of your health? So that's an interesting place because I do take very good care of my health. Um, and I try to take care of his health, I think, better than he does. I mean, there's something of a gendered thing there. But I, I do think a lot about health, my kids' health, his health. So that's the one area that I'm always a little twisty about. Right. Well, it's interesting because, you know, Russ Hudson talks about zones. Have you heard about the yep. zones yep. that he mm -hmm. uses? And so... I think it's an interesting theory, although I'm not 100% convinced that the zones are what help us determine our stacking. And I'm just saying that because this is where I think Myers-Briggs has so much to do with how we're showing up in the world, because you shared with me that you are an ENFP mm -hmm. and I'm an ENTP. Mm -hmm. What this means is that we both lead with extroverted intuition. So extroverted awesome. intuition is sometimes called the excited brainstormer. <laughs> yeah. Hello. Yeah. So when you put somebody who is dominant, an ENFP or an ENTP, into a functional MRI scanner and you start looking at what their brains do, and mm. maybe I misspoke, it might not be functional MRI, it's some kind of brain imaging. Basically, our brains perpetually light up like Christmas trees. That is, and yeah. there's all of these connections that start happening across both hemispheres. And it literally looks a little bit um, like a pinball machine with all those lights going on because we're making so many connections in real time. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. So that looks very 70. A lot of yeah. ENFPs are sevens. Yep. So if you lead with extroverted intuition, I would love to do a study and see how many of these people are sevens or have seven fixes, because I think that there's a huge overlap there. Yeah, I definitely know that it's not as common as a six to be an ENFP. And like everything you just described is so incredibly accurate and exactly my brain. And the excitement yes. and the energizing yes. and just how much fun it is for me to be up in my brain, which is not always true, of course, but I know for a lot of sixes too, that that isn't the case, but I just love all those connections and doing that all of the time. But again, that doesn't lend me much into wanting to like clean my house or create a budget or fix anything. I just don't have any skills in those areas. So my let me explain why. Relational. Yep. Go ahead. Yeah. So, and notice I just interrupted you. That's a very N-E thing too. as well. Yeah. Right. So if you lead with extroverted intuition, you're an interrupter. I mean, yeah. unless you, until you've done really deep spiritual work, you know, um, I have to work so hard. I have a podcast now and I'm like, Kristen, bip. yeah, it's so hard, but well, you're free to interrupt me. FYI. Well, see, that's because we both lead with extroverted intuition. Yeah. But if you didn't lead with that, you might start to get shut down and pissed off and, you know, oh, yeah. have problems with that. So, and my listeners, if you look at my bad podcast reviews, it's all because I get too excited and I have a tendency to interrupt and some episodes are worse than others. Okay. Well, we're going to do our best to oh. complete streams of thought today. Well, do you know what we can also Good do luck to us? Yeah. Well, I'm all about habit change. 
So Mm -hmm. one of the classes that I teach is on mindfulness-based habit change. I know that interrupting is a habit, and that's because I also come from a family that interrupts. And nobody cares. It's just a form there of interest and in love. There is a style thing. There is yeah. a permission stylistic. Like, I like it because to me, it's like we're engaged. There's energy. It's back and forth. That's yeah. exactly how I feel. But listeners, if they do not lead with extroverted intuition, if it's going to be lower down in their stack, we're talking about there are eight cognitive functions. So mm-hmm. for us, it's the hero function. We absolutely don't think there's anything wrong with extroverted intuition ever. In fact, it is the tool for every single job. Not, but we think that. Yeah. Yeah. My six probably has a little more realistic read on that because I'm so aware of how I'm being perceived or I think I'm being perceived in any given moment. So I am going to take in, of course, your listeners who might not like that and be really thoughtful about that in the background. Well, and the thing that helps me when I'm with another person who enjoys interrupting, because if you listen to some of my episodes where I interview nines or fives, you know, the pace is just so much slower. But when you're a three or a two, our mirror neurons are really, really active. We have the most mirror neurons of any of the types on the wheel. What? Yeah, because we're so other referencing and we are tracking you and we are chameleon to kind of do your style. Okay, so for me with six and three, yes, I think this is part of what makes me such a good coach, honestly, is because Mm -hmm. I am taking in so much of what is coming across. Yes. And I'm really able to notice and connect with that. Absolutely. So yes, both threes and sixes are other referencing, but for different reasons. Threes are other referencing because I'm wondering what you're thinking about me. Mm -hmm. And sixes are other referencing because they want to make sure that there's still attachment and safety and belonging and that nothing shady is going on. Yep. Yeah. It's it's interesting. If you have a three and a six fix, you're going to be more mindful of that. Now, because I ride the three, six arrow a lot, Sometimes Mm -hmm. people think I have a six fix, but Mm -hmm. I actually think that it's still seven because of that extroverted intuition. And that's what makes me kind of more poppy, like hopping all over the place. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I was going to talk about why we don't like taking care of details or cleaning or finances or taxes or paying bills or all of these self-pres activities. And the reason is because our fourth function which some people call, personality hacker calls the three-year-old function, is introverted sensing or memory. Mm -hmm. And introverted sensing or memory likes to do things that have a proven track record, that are about stability and routine, and that breed a sense of safety, and you just kind of know what's coming. So if you lead with extroverted intuition, the SI world is boring. It's really not a place that we love to be. So we need to surround ourselves with the sweet ones who often are really good at the introverted sensing activities because we subconsciously know that that is not our bag. You know, it's just not what we want to do. So this is interesting, though, because this is a very accepting of self-interpretation, right? As opposed to, we need to make sure that we dig into those parts of life and get really good at those. Like, I don't hear you saying that and I like it. 
Well, the reason I'm not saying it is because I do embrace a little bit more of a strengths finders mentality. Have you ever familiarized yourself with that? Which Mm -hmm. says, these are my strengths. And of course, I did the 34 profile. And all of those 0.1 or preserving is the word that Mario Sakura uses. Mm -hmm. I am not good at these things. So how have I managed that? Well, first of all, I have a 0.1 mother with a two wing, a one with a two wing. Mm-hmm. And she moved here 18 and a half years ago to help me raise my four children and take care of my home because she loves doing that kind of a thing. And I hate doing that kind of a thing. So she I think is actually one of the reasons my husband and I are so happy is we outsource so many different domains. Like yes. I really do run the emotional tone of the home and like the sort of growth and development of all the people. And he's goes along on that journey and he manages so much of the deeper, longer things. And I've come along of course, and learned how to like, you know, basic clean and keep things acceptable. And he's come in my direction, but we are so different. It's such a fun functional deal because we're not in each other's domains. And then we just enjoy and respect what the other one brings. Yeah. Yeah. And this is why I struggled because I was married to a nine for 17 years Mm. and Mm -hmm. I was chronically frustrated because I was over-functioning in the home, doing things I didn't like doing when we had four little kids. And he was a self-pres nine that was very good at working and making money. But when he came home, he had completely used his energy tank and he just had nothing left would just dissociate and literally could fall asleep on the couch while the children were hanging from chandeliers. <laughs> and I would just be like, are you kidding me? Because I was riding this three, six arrow being anxious and hypervigilant and trying yeah. to not have my world look like it was in the chaos that it was in. That it was. Yeah. Yeah. And so we could not meet there. And, you know, having your mom play that role is wonderful And for anybody that has a mother who's a one with a two wing, you could probably imagine that there are also aspects of it that can be challenging, you know? Could be, could (laughs) be. Mm -hmm. This is why my cleaning lady, Monica, God bless her soul, is like my most wonderful resource because I don't need my mom in my house quite as much, but I need lots of help staying tidy. Yes. Well, you're willing to give yourself that, which is really just a good self-care. Yes. Because, you know, she comes twice a week and I feel so spoiled, but I say, I will be a doctor as long as I can pay for my cleaning lady to come twice a week, at least while I have kids. (laughs) Yeah. Like, I mean, I will do that job all day long to have this luxury. I also have a 0.1 office manager and my office manager takes care of all these preserving details in the office. And I have a nurse practitioner who's a one. And like she takes care of all these patient-centric details. This so, is fascinating because yeah. I also kind of collect ones. And yes. it's just so interesting. I like the precision, right? I help, I go to my ones sometimes to be like, help me think this through. Like yes. I bring a whole blah, 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 blah. And they just help me draw things together. And there's, there's so many, um, there's so much clarity in words, like the way my husband can say things. I'm just like, Oh, there's such a level of clarity and precision that I really love being around. And as the six in their life, there's a lot of like humanizing Mm -hmm. and bringing like warmth and love 
to them that just to like bring in, you know, what I give to them. There's so much depth and warmth and humanity. It's such a good reciprocal feel. Well, my sound engineer, Kevin, is a one. And you saw how beautifully he takes care of that. Oh, he was on it. That was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he literally came to my house and like hooked up this microphone and dealt with all of my technology and like everything that is wonderful about this podcast from a technological standpoint, it's because of my beautiful ones. Yeah. And yet I identify as self-pres dominant because as a self-pres three, I work, I mean, we're kind of workaholics, you know, I work, 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 work. Yeah. And for me, I do get overly concerned about doing things that make money versus the things that I spur my sexual, you know, instinctual Mm -hmm. work that doesn't make me money. And I'm like constantly stressed about like, how far can I push it? And I really- But are you also, you're currently single? Yes. So doesn't that also, I don't know, like there's a have to element there, right? Have to what? Make money. Well, right. No, that's a hundred percent true. And I also have three kids in high school and have 12 years of college tuition in front of me. Right. So this is kind of what I think is so interesting around the instincts. And we don't have to go too deep here, but there is a lot of life station and life circumstance that totally influences what we need to lean on. I mean, if we're thoughtful adults in the world, I just really think we have more choice than Enneagram theory would have us believe. Yes. But what I'll reveal is that Another reason that my marriage failed was because my ex-husband and I were together from 19 on, and I had gone to medical school, and he had gone to business school, and he came out with some college debt from Princeton, and I was neurotically worried about money. I mean, with our professionalism, we should have known that by 40, it would be okay, but because we were buying a home and having children and had so much debt... My level of neuroticism about financial things, like if he went out and bought lunch instead of packing every single day, I would have a meltdown. Like it was just ridiculous. And I would like never buy anything without a 30% off coupon from Kohl's. Right. The amount of self-presiness around the neuroticism around that is a little weird. And also around like health. Mm -hmm. I became a physician because I'm so fixated on the care of the body. And that's why I'm like a health and wellness doctor. So like if my kids don't wear sunscreen and come home with a sunburn, I have so much anxiety. If I see them biking without a bike helmet, like if we don't, if somebody forgets to put on a seatbelt, I'm just like having coronary. I mean, so all of these safety things, like I've been invited on many a motorcycle ride. I will not go. I will not skydive. That's just smart. (laughs) Well, you know, this is said from, this is why six and self-pres also look similar because they share a lot of things, which Which is why the self- Which creates a ton of confusion. Because to me, I'm just like, the things you're saying are just sensible. If you're a six. I'm a six, exactly. (laughs) And and if you're self-pres dominant, you know, and sexual blind. Because riding a motorcycle, a motorcycle, a motorcycle, I mean, that is like hot and sexy, but like dangerous. But see, here's the thing about what I mean about like stages and ages, because who I am now and how I live now is not who I was in my 20s. Okay. So tell us about that. Oh, I'll tell you some. (laughs) Um, 
<laughs> we want to know all about it, Chris. It was all the things. I mean, you've got 638 uh, self-pres blind. So it was massive intent. Oh, and trauma, of course. So you've got massive intensity, all the scary things, all the partying, and just I just did what I wanted to do. And it was really a mess. I mean, I was all up in everybody's business. It was just so much. I can't even, I, literally, it's a shock that it's the same person. But that was self-pres blind, sexual, social, run amok, all driven by this eight energy. And that's still me. But now I'm an adult with children and a business yeah. and a husband. So it's a totally different expression of the same energies. I totally get what you mean. And that story there, whenever we're trying to figure out our stack, yes. if you've been doing personal growth work, and obviously you have, and now you're a coach, I mean, you've deeply integrated it all. Yes. Your self-pres is probably no longer blind. It's online. But when exactly I was right. in college, first of all, I have never blacked out. I have never gotten myself in a dangerous situation. Oh, I, well. You know, I yes. can have fun, uh -huh. but I know exactly where the line is. And I still, I never pulled an all-nighter. Getting to oh bed is gosh. very important to me. I never tried marijuana until this <laughs> year because, like, I was just, just say no to all drugs, incredibly judgmental because those are dangerous and scary yeah, I mean, I, I just, that. yeah, like I've been self-pres dominant the entire time. And now people think I'm sexual dominant, but that's because I've done a lot of work and I'm pulling my sexual blind spot online. And now I'm actually training in Naropa psychedelic medicine no, certificate program. Okay, I'm I so am. jealous. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I have to talk offline about that. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, I mean, I'm totally pushing all of these frontiers. I just got off a seven month sabbatical where I didn't work for the first time, which terrified me to take my savings down to now I'm working three days a week so that I can, you know, do both. You got to figure out how to make these things work. But um, yeah, I mean, to not live with my blind spot online now yeah. feels heartbreaking. It's just not even an option. The other thing for me is it's like, it's not fair in my relationship to just lean like to let my husband do everything he's capable to do in right. our household, in his life, that is, that is not fair. And he would, he would, right. and he would never one. ask anything of me. Right. And it just breaks my heart. I mean, it's like touching and heartbreaking that he would give and give and give and give and give and that I wouldn't be able to pick up that slack. And similarly, emotionally, right? He knows. Yes. He said to me once, I'll never forget it. He said, Kristen, I am on your path. I am not at your pace. And when he said that, my whole 60 self just went, and I calmed down. And I was like, right, I'm the like pusher. We're going to go fast. We're going to grow. We're going to evolve. And he's like, sure. First, we're going to have the bills paid and maybe the house will be clean. And like, it's just that like, yes, but to be able to meet each other there, but for me to respect what he's bringing requires that I can like ask more of myself and do some of the things that I do not want to do. And he's also able to deal with the piles and the stacks and the mess, the chaos that I bring uh, because I'm so freaking charming. 
Exactly. <laughs> I totally get it because ENFPs are some of the most charming humans on the planet. It's What's really his Myers Briggs? Do you know? I don't know. I don't remember. Definitely well, I, J. I know that. I don't know the other ones. Okay. Like the opposite of me, probably. Yeah. 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 Hey, that's a great example of polarity, making mm-hmm. you attracted to each other and kind of supporting each other in these ways that sound like it's super life affirming for both of you. Yeah. I will say those early kid years, uh, they were, it was, you know, both people stressed to the max. It's just such a hard time of life. Ugh. It's it is just such a hard time of life. There's well, that's too when my marriage needs. fell apart. Yeah, it's just yeah. you know, ours. If, if it was going to, that's when it would have absolutely. Yeah. It well, and that's why I'm so, so passionate hard. now about working with people who are at that stage of life. Because as a three, I wasn't willing to admit that I was failing at life. Like it be, I had to blame totally. my ex husband totally. for the fact that I felt like I was failing. And so it was all because he didn't help enough, not because this was just an impossible task that we had taken on. That is it. That is so much what I help people see. Like everything you're doing, this life you're living, it's impossible. It's so hard. Just being a human in the world. Can we give ourselves a break? Can we actually go high level and look at what we're trying to do as individuals in these tiny, teeny units? And then we're just so hard on ourselves. And we shame ourselves and we judge ourselves through all of our particular type mechanisms. And I'm just, no, I'm, we're, I'm done. I'm done with that. And like, that's such a huge part of my mission is let's help people have more capacity to be human, which means we're looking at the mess. We're looking at the failures and we're making space for all of that because that's the truth. And if I could have talked about that 15 years ago. I would have had a completely different trajectory, but you know, I was rejecting everything in my shadow, all of of the failure and all of that and set me on a growth path. So I guess that's the good thing. But have you read the book, The School for Good Mothers? No. Ooh. Okay. Everybody should read this book. It's a dystopian novel that Mm. has a little bit of like the Handsmaid's Tale vibe. If you saw that show or- I can't watch that show. Yeah, it's a hard show to watch. It's not that hard to watch because it doesn't have sexual abuse in it, but it has lots of other emotional and psychological abuse of mothers in it. And, you know, the world is psychologically abusing mothers. That's the damn truth. Exactly. So everybody should read this book. And if anybody wants to do a podcast episode with me about School for Good Mothers, that would be fun because that book is intense and it's awesome. And it makes us look at things that are really uncomfortable about the way we do this whole mothering thing in the United States. I could, I have so many rants about this. It's just, it's so unfair to isolate women and then judge them for everything bad that happens. It's the biggest scam. We've all bought it to some degree and I'm just rejecting it. Like, no. We yeah, well, not. and we're Gen Xers, right? You're a Gen yeah. Xer? Yeah. Yep. So as Gen X, I have a theory that we are the first generation of women that were given the message, you should be a professional success and yep. you should still be a mother. And so we are the generation that took that on and have suffered a lot of trauma from the Absolutely. message that said, we are giving you the opportunity to enter a man's world but we haven't yet changed the world so that you don't have all the responsibilities of a mother from the 1950s. 
And oh, let's throw social media. Yes, and the men have not gotten the message that they get to come in and pick up a lot of that slack if that's actually going to be the case. Well, and I think they want to. I think that I actually um, have a lot of tenderness for the Gen X men. I think Mm -hmm. that most of the Gen X men that I meet want to help, but they haven't been programmed or trained how to help. So there's this whole concept of emotional labor which the man still doesn't do in the Gen X world unless you're an exception. Because typically, I'm still the one that was planning all the teacher's appreciation gifts and all of the birthday party presents and carrying the family schedule in my mind and making sure that everybody got where they needed to go. And the men are really the servants of the woman okay, in the so home. Okay, let me just speak into this because yes, to everything you're saying. And a couple years ago, we were in a spot and my husband said exactly this, right? Like, I will help. Let me know what you want me to do. And I said, no, figure it out. That is what we all say. And me, but me holding that space, this was a very non sexy thing to do, right? To let that discomfort hang. Yes. And not overwork the quote fix. And I and I was kind. I was like, I love you. We are in this together. I will not be the dad in that way. And to that man's credit, he has so come on board. Like last year, I remember he scheduled all the camps for the summer and yeah. let me know. And of course, I had a little bit of like a <gasps> I was like, he did it wrong, right? Was my first reaction. Of and course. then I was like, no, no, Kristen, he did it. Holy guacamole. It was amazing. (laughs) But like to let that discomfort be there for I'm giving you the mantle. I'm going to go ahead and let you learn how to do that. I wish I had done it earlier. I wish I had known to do that when the kids were younger. But I was still so wrapped up in my lack of self to your point because I wasn't making money again yet. So I was a disaster because that was my identity to your Mm -hmm. point. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so... You are making such a great point. So it's so important that we as women do our work. And this is why I teach this class on winding anxiety that everybody's invited to free to right now in April. So please come join me. But you have to work on your own anxiety around your partner doing it differently than you would have. And I want to phrase it that way because what our brain is going to do is say they did it wrong. That's right. When in reality, they did it differently. That's right. Yeah. And, you know, I always say, if you don't do what I want, when I want, how I want, it's obviously wrong. But, you know. (laughs) And we joke about that a lot as a six and a one, because he obviously has his very strong ideas about how things should go, too. And so we get a lot of mileage out of who's doing things right and wrong. That's awesome. Yeah. I love that. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Well, we came to this interview because we were going to talk a little bit about Try type and some things that were going on in Ingrid's forum. And would you go ahead and launch us into that and tell us what your recent thoughts about try type have been and what you're wondering? Yeah. So in Ingrid's course, it's really great because yes, we're learning all the various what have yous about the Enneagram, but it's really this underlying foundation of being trauma informed and unshaming. And so many of the Enneagram theories are used to shame people, right? Anytime we're like, oh, I know about you, da 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 It's It's really inherently disconnecting 
and very potentially shaming. So we're learning all this stuff, but it's almost like as a coach, as a practitioner, it's really just something you keep in your back pocket and only minimally, if ever, really talk about it in session because it's so easy for all of us to be like, what's my type? What's my stacking? What's my instinct? And get all like kind of Twitterpated about the theory and the pieces thinking that that's actually going to do something for us when that isn't the thing. It's all of the practices that we have that actually change us. So when it comes to tri-type, it's interest. This is always my filter. How is this useful for me or my clients? So personally, most of my work was done. I mean, I'm obviously on a lifelong journey, but before I ever knew my tri-type, you do not have to know your tri-type to be able to separate yourself from your thinking, learn how to process your emotion, learn how to find health in your various centers. So I think it's like a bonus. I think of tri-type as a bonus. Um, and I'm really interested in the body fix lately because I do think that's an interesting conversation in and of itself. So let me just respond to a couple things you said. I totally agree that the Enneagram can be used to shame, can yeah. be used to judge people, can be used to say, oh, I already know how you are because I have these labels of you. Yep. And yet we all express it very differently. Our conversation in the beginning just showed how self-pres can look so different. And this is actually what spurred me to do this podcast series because I was hearing all of these explanations of self-pres dominance that did not resonate with me. Mm -hmm. And part of it is that I've been bringing my blind spot online, but a lot of it is that there's a certain... Uh, energy and motivation. And just like we can't type people off of behavior alone, we can't look at behavior alone when we're talking about the instincts either, because it's really about what is the underlying meaning that's going on here. Agreed. So that's the first thing that I love that you said. Now I have training in resonant healing. And when I learned resonance, I was able to actually use the Enneagram and instinctual information to release my clients from shame, because once we know your type pattern and your cognitive preferences and your instinctual stack, we now can take behaviors that you are feeling ashamed of. And we can say, well, of course you blah, blah, yeah, blah. Absolutely. Because you have this nervous system and you yep. have this enneotype and you have this cognitive process. So of course it will manifest this way given your trauma and your history. So just simply acknowledging that we are machines until we wake up and have consciousness. Yep. And so it, for me, gives me an avenue to forgiveness and saying, of course I interrupt. I lead with extroverted intuition and everybody in my family interrupts. That so doesn't mean what, it's okay. Yeah. What I have found is I orient that same way automatically. Mm -hmm. And I assumed that that is how people oriented automatically is that once we're able to explain right. you some, you will sort of automatically come along with this. And so you make sense. Yes. And what I have found is that is not at all the case that getting to that and you make sense is quite a challenge. I would say that's actually sort of the bottom line of all of my work is yeah. actually helping people get to this, oh, I make 
sense because it's just not an automatic orientation when we see ourselves. No, because if we are not normal, which means doing what most of the population is doing, thinking what most of the population is thinking. Or we think they should, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. We end up creating a story yes. that the problem is with me. That's right. And that's why I'm different from you. When there's a million other reasons that you might be processing whatever is happening differently. And once you can gain some clarity around that, that's been like really releasing for me. Yeah. Same. Same. Yeah. Yeah. I've just found it's making the assumption that that happens naturally for people is an assumption I was making before I knew I was making the assumption. Does that make sense? Well, and that's probably why you're a coach because you're a little bit naturally wired to have that sense of compassion and your and agency. Yeah. That yeah. sense of agency is what I find many people don't have automatically. And for sixes, that makes so much sense because we're kind of mentally designed to squash our own internal agency. Wow. So just showing themselves themselves does not make the agency like come up. It's a whole bit of work. Describe agency, just define it so that we're all on the same page. I define it as like, I have a sense that I can impact my experience of my life. Yeah. That is not in everyone automatically. So it's a whole piece of work to say, okay, is that a belief that you have? If you don't have that belief, how do we get that on board before any self-revealing? Because if I don't have that on board and then I self-reveal, it's a shame spiral. Do you notice that assertive types already have that on board? Some degree, yeah. Mm-hmm. Because I, I think gonna, as I'm an assertive yes. type, that is basically what we're wired around is that I have to do something to make it happen. It's like we have almost over-reliance over. on our sense of yeah. agency. That's right. So I think that it's great that you're working with sixes. Yeah. You would probably also help all the dependent types as well as the withdrawn types because- yep depending upon their instinctual stack and trifix and trauma and upbringing, mm-hmm. probably a lot of those people benefit from getting in contact with that sense of agency. And knowing that it's a thing that you can have if you don't have it, or knowing you don't have it, it those basic pieces, they're so foundational that yeah. that's really where I've learned to start. Like, That's kind of where I start when I'm listening to someone. I'm like, what are the foundational beliefs here? What is the is there an orientation that they can impact their own experience? And if not, that's just kind of where I'm, you know, without getting my own agenda on board, which is of course always a thing with a coach, but it's like without that sense that I make sense, I'm okay. All work is used as a self-flagellating tool. Yeah. Well, I really want to direct you and all listeners to the episode that I did with Sarah Payton, who's my resident healer. Yes. Because literally everything she teaches is bringing us to you make sense and to developing what we call the resonating self-witness, where Mm -hmm. we learn to do that for ourselves, even when there's not somebody else doing it with us. And she has meditations and she has practices. And I have a practice group on Wednesday night where I'm teaching people and allowing them practice opportunities to do it for each other and inside their own selves. And so I just think it's so important for people to hear that this is such an important part of the work 
and that, you know, you have modalities to help with that. I have modalities to help with that. Get help with that and just do internal check Totally agree. Yeah. If you need it, right? That's what I always, I literally am always saying. If you see something about yourself, if it's going to take you into a shame spiral, then you know where your work is. It's there first. That's the first place. Because if we don't have an internal sturdiness to see ourselves, then we're not going to. And if we do, it's just, you can't be accountable and shame-ridden in the same moment. Right. So we have to build capacity to be accountable before really, I think, personal development work is of value. Are you familiar with the diamond approach? Um, Not that much, but everything I've looked at, I'm like, oh yeah, that's like, it's very resonant to me, the little bit that I have. I joined a diamond group last year. And I'm just putting a plug out. I think everybody should join a diamond group. I think it's amazing for coaches to do ongoing Mm -hmm. work. Almost everybody there is a coach of some sort, and it's a wonderful container. And we talk about the essential energies, or one of them is red, and red symbolizes essential strength. Mm -hmm. And red is where we get our initiation energy Red is the color that point eights have a lot of contact with, this I can make it happen kind of energy. And what I've learned in the Diamond Approach, and one of the wonderful books is by Byron Brown, Soul Without Shame. Have you heard of this one? No. Another wonderful book. Yeah. So basically in the Diamond Approach, we're taught that it's the superego or inner critic attacks that basically keep us separated from our red essence. Yep. So this is what we're working on in the Diamond Group, and they have so many embodied practices and wonderful ways to work with yep. that as well. Yep. So I'm just putting that as a plug. As I've launched my new offering, I am framing things around these different essential qualities. So this month we're focusing on white, which is basically 0.6 and 0.1 strengths. It's essential will. Will. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And I will be moving into essential strength, which is the key in my mind to working with both depression and rage. So depression happens when we hit an obstacle and Mm -hmm. we do something to try to overcome the obstacle, but it doesn't work. And so then we end up moving into despair and hopelessness and depression. But some people, when they hit these obstacles, fly into rage, which is fake red if we aren't expressing it in a healthy way. So really dealing with that essential strength element is so powerful. And yeah, I really love helping people reconnect with that as well. I do too. So with an eight fix, it's very interesting working with sixes who so often are so disconnected from their will, of course, but also their anger. And so often, especially with women, you've got anger that immediately gets covered with shame. Yep. Because that's the familiar place. That's the socially acceptable place. Like there's so many reasons why that makes sense as we're saying here and to help them find access to that inner sense of themselves. And then, but it's very scary. Yeah. Because anger is not okay if you're a woman. It has not been okay. And there's real behaviors that we can all see that anger is very destructive, right? Anger is something to be managed and managed 
well, but it's a sacred force. And gosh, if women don't. Well, and especially if you're a woman. I mean, let's acknowledge that 200 years ago, if you were a woman and you got angry, you usually got hit or burned at the stake. I mean, there's so many, yes, ways in which it isn't safe. I was recently shamed for my anger, which of course only made it bigger. And it was just (laughs) like, wow, this is where we are. This is still where we are. But like this energy is not acceptable to a lot of people. And like, yeah, okay, just tell me, like, I know I'm doing the right work. Well, and that's why as women, we need to get really comfortable with our anger because when we're in alignment, the rage circuit is so important. It tells us that something we value is being threatened. That's right. And so if before we do our work, whether we're a six or an eight or a three or a one or any of these types that are no no stranger to anger, we we know yep. that experience. It's so easy for it to come out in ways that aren't helpful, that oh, are reactive. A, yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Stamp so that. Learning also to hold true. those energies, yep. learning how to hold and be with our anger so that it can transform into essential strength That's and right. a place from which we can respond. And this brings us back to the body center because That's, if we I was don't right there develop with you. the body I'm center- Yeah. Mm -hmm. So tell me your thoughts about the body center now. Okay. So if we think of the body center as the way that we automatically, right? Not, not with thought that we automatically kind of keep our autonomy and we keep like a sense of ourselves. Then, Then this is different from like, I've learned how to set healthy boundaries. It's not that yet, right? This is just automatic stuff. Mm -hmm. So with an eight fix, I just kind of walk through the world, even as a six, pretty trusting because I've got this weird sense that I'll just fight if I'll just fight it. And that is not rational. That's not a logical thing. I mean, I'm a small little person. Who am I going to fight? But my sense of myself is I'm fine. I'll fight it. And I want more. And if someone comes at me, it's like the flame and the energy. Like to me, that is just a really, it's how I keep myself safe subconsciously. Now I mistyped as an eight when I first learned the Enneagram Mm -hmm. and trifix kind of helped me figure that out because with a seven fix and a one fix, when you combine those energies, I like to say seven plus one equals eight. I was going to say equals eight. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, it can look like eight, but I know I'm not an eight because I get reactive, but I get reactive like a heart centered type where it's a little bit dramatic, whereas eights when they get triggered, they go to five and they actually get quieter and they actually get more strategic. So that's a good way that you can tell, am I a three or am I an eight? Plus, um, I seem to lack access to that denial defense mechanism of eight. I go immediately into anxiety and shame and like, oh my God, I've got to fix this now. You know, the attachment is really important to me. And that's how I know I'm not an eight because I also, I can do denial. Like I've got a lot of eight stuff going on, but it's all through this veil of like, then I will doubt the ever loving crap out of myself and really access my fear. I mean, part of my work as a more fiery six is always to build awareness of, oh, what am I actually afraid of? Yeah. And when I ask that question, it can take the wind out of my big fieriness in a useful way, right? So I've had to really learn, like, when is this to be trusted? Yeah. And when is this to 
you know, be contained and questioned and worked with. Do you want to know what I ask myself? Do tell. I ask myself, what am I resisting here? Because if it's true, I have to mourn it. So I go to grief. For me as a three, it's trying to avoid grief and shame. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just such a beautiful way for listeners to say, if you know you get angry or have an eight fix or a one fix or any kind of a fiery fix, is it that you're afraid of something or are you trying not to mourn something or are you always worried about losing autonomy? Like what is it underneath? Because there is that autonomy piece. Like freedom is a major top value of mine, which... Mm -hmm. Some sixes actually do have that, but they're not just, they're not free to see that in themselves yet. But it's also not necessarily a common value for sixes. They're more wanting like the safety and security, which I do too. I just go about it a whole different way. So, okay, for one, I want to hear what you think. Well, I want to name that this freedom fixation that you know that you have. And this is why you have a seven wing. And this is why I have a seven fix. This is because we're EPs in the Meyer-Briggs system. So all of the EPs have a freedom fix. Antonia Dodge and Joel Markowitz have created this thing called the firm model. And basically, EPs are going to be concerned with issues of freedom. IJs are going to be concerned with issues of vulnerability. IPs are going to be concerned with issues of right or wrong. And we're left with the EJs, and I can't remember what they're about. So okay, I'll have to, so this yeah. is the thing about the one fix, though, because so if we go back to that, like how the system automatically creates autonomy and boundaries. Yes, I think of the one, and when I'm working with a six with a one, it's like it really is around this, like right and wrong, good or bad. Uh huh. Like I really don't have that as much. I'm like whatever. It's just more. <laughs> Sure. Yeah. The one, if I mean, but I want to hear about it from your. Well, because I have habit. a one fix. Yeah. So I have to work on my one ishness a lot. My mother's a one, so I have a lot of point one object relations. Totally. I mean, I started this entire podcast because I didn't think people were talking about the instincts in the right way. Yeah. And you know what I've discovered as I've interviewed so many people is that I really agree with you. Is that let's be a little more flexible in our interpretation of these things. And it was really seeing the intersection of Myers-Briggs, Enneagram, and instinctual drives that suddenly started to make the picture of the human in front of me start Mm -hmm. to make sense. Mm -hmm. So once it makes sense to me and I can explain these models to somebody that I'm working with, this really helps them to make sense to themselves as well. So I do feel like anybody that is too fixated on how to type, on how to describe stack, you know, I think that all of that is wrong. Now, I don't know. I'm really trying to lean into the entire concept of dualism and just recognize that anytime I'm in that type of energy, that of course there's something beautiful that all of these different stances are offering. And we do like to have some kind of standard, some kind of boundaries, something to lean on. We can't just say everything is flexible. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, that's where I, I think of it as a, a rule of th- a law of three kind of thing. 
where on the one hand, typing, there's a right way to do it. On the other hand, all of these methods are dumb in their own right and mean nothing. Okay. This is like the affirming and denying stances. Absolutely. So, you know, the third force is saying both are true. Mm -hmm. Typing matters. Your stack matters. Your best fit type in Myers-Briggs matters. And let's not hold it too tightly because really what we're trying to do. Yeah. How can all these things be true? And I think this is so hard for humans to do. I think to ask more of ourselves. Yeah. To incorporate more is just so hard for us to do. Yeah. So we're staying here with this boundaries thing. So for the eight, it's like, fine, more, give me more. Fine. For the one, it's like, well, it's right or wrong in a, in a feeling way, right? So mm-hmm. maybe I can imagine distancing myself from what's wrong. That's how I'm going to create my internal sense of myself. Yeah. So then the nine fix, it's really interesting because it's almost like, it's almost like they can't hold it all. But it's like, that's not actually what's happening. It's like, they kind of hold it all, but then it's like, poof, like a disappearance from it all. Mm, yeah. So I create my autonomy by, I'm kind of gone. Or maybe I create my autonomy by sort of disconnecting from all of you people that are having some kind of a strong stance. Yes. 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 So I'm still sense. here, but and I'm saying things. But the things that I'm saying are cluing me in, like if I'm your coach, that like, oh, I've lost you. I've pushed too far because all of a sudden you're in story or you're in theory or you're saying, I'm going to go think about that. It's like, oh, I lost you because now. (laughs) Well, I don't know if I'm 100% in agreement there just because I've lived with so many nines and I'm a nine magnet. I have discovered that most nines are introverts and they process internally. So what I've come to see is that nines have some of the most brilliant insights of anybody I know, but the way that I interface with nines is I say, okay, I'm going to vomit some thoughts on you right now. Mm -hmm. And I just want them to go wherever in your belly center that they go. And I want you to do whatever kind of nine-ish magic that you do with them and then come back and give me your thought about it. And usually they come back with like two sentences that are completely brilliant that really distill what it is I was trying to get at in a way that is very open and encompassing and beautiful. So I which still I, yeah. doesn't mean necessarily that they're still present. I did not know how pushy I was. Oh yeah. Until I was learning that, you know, with clients and being like, oh, oh, I mean, it just took a lot of pain. <laughs> yeah. No, the same thing. Oh, and like, like I, mean, I lost them and I don't know how or why. And then thinking like, oh, I just need to, you know, of course my fix for that was to like maybe push harder or did it until oh, yeah, I did that too. how to be softer and softer and softer and softer yeah. has been a real journey for me personally and professionally, how to be 100%. softer and softer and softer. Well, and give like, more I, it makes me uncomfortable just even to say it. Yeah. I mean, for me, as soon as I get that feedback from the nine that I'm losing them, I know that it suddenly becomes my practice in taking my seat. That's because right. the more I push, the longer it will take and the further they will go. That's right. And yeah, it's just 
that's where my work starts because it's just so hard for me to be in the spaciousness of a nine or a five. Both of those types need a lot of space. So much and so much tender invitation. I mean, one of the things that we're doing in Ingrid's course that I was kind of working on previously was this whole concept of consent. I used to think that once someone hired me, they have consented to be coached. No, that is the biggest mistake. One of the big, there's so many we can make, made them all, but (laughs) actually learning like consent moment to moment to moment has been such a beautiful thing for me to learn and to also know what it feels like, right? When someone comes without consent and that eight knows it. And it is a real problem. Yes. (laughs) A real problem for me. But I've n- but I didn't recognize it as a problem because my instinct was like, well, I'll just fight it. Yes. I didn't notice the tenderness there of like, oh, I've just had my boundaries crossed. It's such important thing to that highlight. That whole deal has been just such a journey. Yeah. Well, Kristen, we're going to definitely have to do this again because there's so much more I'd love to talk to you about. But Um, We're at the top of the hour and I just want to thank you so much for being with us. And I think we raised some really important things for people to think about today. I got excited about some things. So hopefully that is true. (laughs) Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. If you're enjoying these episodes, you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts and various Android platforms. If you leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, it helps a lot. If you have any questions you'd like addressed in a future episode, please email me at social at karenansmd.com. I also offer a wide variety of services at my practice, including typology, Enneagram coaching, nonviolent communication training, and mindfulness trainings for working with stress, anxiety, and food cravings. Please visit my website at karenansmd.com to schedule a free 30-minute consultation if you'd like to work with me in any way. We also have the opportunity for free classes.